sadness we experience as a rare community really can be difficult and take form in many different ways. It is so important to find the right coping strategy and be there and support each other. Before we continue with our episode, we want to honor one of our cystinosis warriors, Robert Smith, who passed away on April 22nd, 2020. He will be missed by so many of us in the community. This is Cheryl and we created this podcast as the Adult Leadership Advisory Board or ALAB. Who we are in terms of ALAB is a group that focuses on issues, challenges, and difficult topics facing our community. We are working hard to develop educational programming, social tools, and fundraising initiatives to inform, include, and support adults with cystinosis, but ultimately anybody in our community, our friends, our families, our neighbors, and anybody that that might or might not be affected by cystinosis. We, as the Adult Leadership Advisory Board, are funded and work under the Cystinosis Research Network. For those of you out there who might not necessarily understand or know what cystinosis is, cystinosis is characterized by the accumulation of the amino acid or one of the amino acids, cysteine, within the cells. When the cysteine builds up in the cells, it often forms crystals and will sometimes attack certain organs and tissues, predominantly the kidneys, but also includes the eyes, muscles, thyroid, brain, pancreas, and testes. Previously, it was known that an individual born with cystinosis would not live past 10. It's pretty grim, and I'm sure many families out there were quite devastated when they had a newborn who was diagnosed with this disease, cystinosis. However, today we have members in our community living well past 50 years old. Hello. I'm Jana Healy. My hosts are Cheryl, Sarah, and Steve, and we are a part of ALAB, bringing you the second episode of Cystinosis Rare, A Journey into the Unknown. Our episode theme is mental health, dealing with grief and loss, and the effects of COVID-19. And I would especially like to thank CRN for making this podcast possible. And I'd like to start out by introducing Maya, Maya Doyle, and she has been helping out Cystinosis Research Network and helping the Cystinosis community. And I'd like to give the floor to her. Hi, everybody. My name's Maya. I'm a social worker, primarily from pediatrics and nephrology. I've gotten to know the Cystinosis community and probably many of you listening. Uh, over the last 20 years, and I'm really pleased to be working on these mental health-oriented projects alongside ALAB. We've been planning to have a discussion in this podcast about depression or anxiety, kind of familiar concepts when it comes to mental health. But last summer, some of us came together on a call to talk about grief and loss when a vibrant member of the cystinosis community passed away. And as we talked, the conversation moved from the loss of our friend, and as everybody says, a sister, to some of the personal losses people had experienced. It really reminded me that living with a chronic and progressive health condition sometimes bring 
deep feelings of grief and loss. Often is related to living with the illness itself. So while trying to maintain a positive attitude and finding helping helpful coping mechanisms is really important, a lot of discussion amidst the A-Lab members reminded us that it's also important to talk honestly and openly about those losses, to bring them out into the light of day. So that was sort of our goal. We're also very aware in creating this podcast that we're all living with concerns about COVID-19 right now and losses to our typical routines, our freedoms, and even to people that we care about. So your hosts are going to each share their stories and then we'll answer some questions and provide some resources at the end. Hello, I'm Jana Healy and this is my story about grief and loss. It all started about Two years ago, uh, while I was working in Fargo, I started to get a double vision and it was making it impossible to, uh, to just uh, work with the dizziness and I had to stay in one place while the episode was going on, while I uh, was having the double vision. I wasn't able to walk until it had passed. And I figured it was just maybe a side effect of cystinosis. Uh, so I made a, an eye appointment and uh, just let it go with that. A few weeks later, the double vision turned to double vision along with headaches and pretty bad ones at that. I guess you could call them migraines, more like migraines. So once I went to the eye doctor, I decided to tell him my symptoms and he took one look at my eyes and decided that I needed to go to the ER because my eyes were swollen and I had fluid behind my eyes too. And he said that I should go to the ER and get checked out. So uh, that evening, I got someone to watch my dog and I headed to the ER. Uh, after a little bit of a wait, they decided the first course of action would be for me to get an MRI to make sure there are no spots on my brain or, or tumors. Once I had gotten the MRI and the results came back, they were clear. Uh, so, you know, I was, I was definitely happy about that. But the worst case scenario, they said the second thing I would have to get would be a spinal tap. And uh, I was kind of dreading that. Uh, I just, uh, well, I knew it was going to be painful. So they um, got me prepped for the spinal tap. And once they did the spinal tap, they realized my pressure was way up. So they decided that I had a pseudotumor and they made a recommendation to see a neurologist that specializes in eyesight to help with this problem. I decided to see a specialist in cystinosis, Dr. Lee, at, from the U of M, University of Minnesota. And he, he helped me out with this and prescribed azetazolamide, which would help with keeping the fluid down. Also, he would keep track of where the fluid's at and if he needs to up the prescription and whatnot. 
I was on that medication for about a year, but uh, my kidneys started to produce protein, which is, is bad. They were getting dehydrated from the fluid being taken off with the azetazolamide. They tried to put me on an alternate medication, which didn't work well. Uh, I had some side effects from that that uh, I couldn't handle. So uh, they put me back on azeozolamide at a, a low strength, and I made the decision uh, with the doctor's recommendation that to get a shunt, a VP shunt. And a VP shunt is basically, it helps drain the excess cerebral fluid that cushions your brain and protects it from injury inside your skull. Well, it, it, it will help uh, keep the fluid levels down and make sure that the eyesight stays intact and my kidney doesn't uh, go into rejection or fail because of dehydration. I got the shunt, I had a surgery date set and with the shunt and not taking the medication, it's all mine anymore. I am pretty healthy, well, healthy as I can be considering, but it still has taken a toll uh, with the VP shunt. Well, it definitely changed me. I'm not able to move as fast as I used to. Uh, and it also limits how much I can lift. It, it, so basically it changed how I work and how I go about my everyday life and the loss of some of, you know, my function. It's, it's definitely hard to, it's, it's hard to take because I'm, I'm used to going faster and working harder and and being stronger and working in a kitchen, it can be uh, kind of taxing with a limit on how much I can lift and a limit to my stamina now. So definitely the, the grief of having to go through all that process to, to find a, a diagnosis and the loss of some of my functions is definitely, it's hard, but... I realized it was a uh, necessary surgery to uh, keep living, being cystinosis strong. So now I'd like to pass on uh, the mic to Steve, who will be telling his story next on grief and loss. My struggle with grief and loss has had to do with the fact that no matter what I do, I can't control everything. Even if I take my meds, exercise, and try to live as normal of a life as possible, unexpected tragedy can still strike without rhyme or reason. This is really what everyone deals with in their lives. The fact that they aren't immortal and that life has no guarantee. When you have a chronic illness, these facts seem to be more in your face than what a person without a chronic illness experiences. For the past five or six years, I've been dealing with a mysterious illness that I still haven't figured out. I have episodes that last anywhere between one and three days. I have not been able to determine whether my episodes are related to my medicine, cystinosis directly, or some new medical issue unrelated to cystinosis. 
my illness episodes seem to strike without any obvious triggers or warnings and leave me incapacitated. It becomes harder to think, function, and do all the things that need to be done as an independent adult. My personal life and professional life have been severely affected by this illness. I haven't dated anyone in over six years. I was trying to develop a graphic design business and it became too hard to manage with my symptoms. My social contact was very limited until about a year or two ago. Being a part of a lab and attempting to do things for other people is helping me deal with the stress and frustration I've been feeling over having this mysterious illness and not knowing the cause of it. Bringing myself closer to the community has made losing friends with cystinosis even harder to bear than it was. It has also made the unknowns of this disease a little harder to bear. Overall, though, having the community to talk to and commiserate with always makes things a little easier. We need each other, especially during this pandemic. As horrible as the current situation with the coronavirus has been on my end of things, it has forced me to take actions I needed, needed to take that I wasn't taking because of fear. Since I haven't been able to go to my job and won't be able to in the near future, I've been rebuilding my graphic design portfolio and applying for remote jobs. This has been because the desperation I felt during this current moment has outweighed my fears of being rejected as a graphic designer or not finding steady, stable work. My job is not stable anymore, really, so freelancing or remote work doesn't feel as scary anymore. I'm appreciating the interactions I have with family and friends more and making it a point to connect and reconnect with family and friends to see how they're doing. It's really clarifying what the most important things in my life are right now. This isn't to say I'm not scared. Having cystinosis and living with my parents who are part of the high-risk pool of people due to their ages and medical conditions makes this whole thing very real for me. For the most part, we haven't been out of the house or seen anyone but each other in person in almost two weeks. The little freedom we had has been condensed down into my suburb and my house. I already snapped once at my dad because of being cooped up together for too long. It is a little terrifying for me because my safety and other people's safety is dependent not only on what I do, but what they do. There is only a certain amount of things I can do to control the situation. All life is like this. We all depend on each other to some extent, but it usually does not lead to death if one of us does not follow the rules closely, and the rules sometimes seem to change. What really scares me are the unknowns. The unknowns are horrifying. The way to deal with the stress, isolation, and frustration we all feel is to lean into each other more than ever. We live in a world connected through various communication channels. There are free ways to connect with each other, and it can almost feel like 
we are in the same rooms with one another. As we do with cystinosis, we can do with this pandemic, be a support for each other, be there for everyone, regardless of age, race, sex, religion, sexual orientation, country, or anything else I'm forgetting. The biggest thing all this has made clear to me is that united, we are stronger than we are divided. Hi, my name's Sarah, and I would like to tell you my story on grief and loss. My story of grief and loss is my whole ordeal that I endured right before my transplant. They found a donor for me, but the doctor said I needed two surgeries because the surgery would be too long and my body wouldn't be able to handle it. The first surgery would be to remove my kidneys and I would have a few weeks on dialysis. The second surgery would be my transplant. I had gotten a bilateral nephrectomy to remove my kidneys because they weren't working properly anymore. They put me on dialysis. They put me on fluid restrictions and a diet. It was going well in the beginning, just persistent migraines. The only thing was I need more water for my meds than they were giving me. I take 50 pills a day, need more water. I told them to take more off more fluid off of dialysis each session, but they said there was a limit that they could take off. I tried to tell my doctor I needed more taken off because it was starting to have fluid buildup and needed more water for my pills. They didn't listen. I kept gaining weight and it was getting harder to breathe and I could only sleep at a 90 degree angle. I told my other transplant doctor how I was feeling and he said that everything looked okay. Nobody would listen until it was right before my transplant and I tried to talk to my transplant doctor again. They agreed to do a chest x-ray and an EKG. They ended up finding out that there was too much fluid around my lungs and heart causing heart failure. So they admitted me and my transplant got moved back. There was a lot of recovery time. I had to be on oxygen. They had to drain the fluid. I lost my strength for a while and the waiting to finally have a transplant was so stressful. I lost precious time out of my life because of the uncomfortable months on dialysis. When we talked about it together, it also became clear that I had lost something else. I wasn't heard, I wasn't listened to. Despite all this time living with the cystinosis and living in my own body, I wasn't believed when I knew something was wrong. Hey guys, this is Cheryl. Um, my story of grief and loss takes a look back to 2016 when I was uh, last experiencing kidney failure for the second time around the age of 30, 31. At that time, I was excelling in my career uh, in mental health and had worked my way up to a case manager. I was living in an apartment with a great deal of savings, ready to purchase a house within my plan of two years. I was climbing, going to the gym and felt that life was good. I knew my blood result, my blood lab results were not stable, but I still felt healthy and I still felt good. But one day I had an appointment with a dermatologist of mine to look at a small lump that I was not overly concerned about. Um, however, I quickly learned when I saw him and he took a tissue sample a short time later that it was malignant and that I had a rare type of skin cancer. Within two weeks from that diagnosis, I was sitting in front of my, one of my nephrologists as he was telling me that 
my results for my blood work were starting to creep up too high and too steady for too long. There was nothing that any of the doctors or myself could do. Within that year, I would need to start dialysis or get a transplant because my kidney was in full failure. So suddenly, I found myself too sick to work um, and was experiencing the side effects of this kidney failure not that long later and realized the hard decision that I just had to quit my career. I lost savings that I was using to, um, to save for a house because I had to survive and pay my rent and my bills while getting no money and no income from a job. Um, the side effects of kidney failure took over my body and no longer was able to climb. I no longer was able to be active and found myself bawling in the bathroom of the gym because I just knew my body couldn't do what my mind knew I could. It became overwhelming and I sought counseling um, because it just became too much for me at that time. Um, my sessions with my counselor were actually focused around loss, the loss I was experiencing of everything, my money, my career, my livelihood, essentially my mental health. Um, and so our, our counseling sessions revolved around that and the grief I was experiencing as a result. I did rely very much on my family and friends and I'm very, very grateful that while I was going through dialysis until I received my transplant uh, from my brother actually, um, 20, sorry, 2017, three years ago. <laughs> um, and I'm living great now and I'm doing healthy again. It was extremely, extremely hard. And I felt like I hit rock bottom. I was experiencing not being able to get out of bed. And I experienced suicide ideation around that point when I was experiencing the kidney failure and uh, all the side effects. Today, COVID-19 has entered our lives and I feel like we're all, we're all experiencing to some degree that loss and potentially that grief as a result. Many of us, all of us essentially are not able to work. Some of us have lost our jobs, depleting our bank accounts, they're taking a hit and we've lost a lot of our exercise facilities and even parks that we can go to. I feel a great parallel with this experience um, and what I went through. Many others do in our community when I lost my kidney and when I went into kidney failure. Many things were robbed from us and many things are today robbed from us under circumstances that are completely out of our control, making it that much more difficult or hard to come to terms with. Counseling and reaching out to supports at this time, particularly those in similar situations of the loss that we're all experiencing, can really help out with these times. So I'm wishing everyone the best of luck out there and recuperating from, from what, what is happening right now.